Hey, what's up? And welcome back, storytellers. This is your host, Yin Chang. A quick announcement that we have a very special bonus of write-ins for this month. We've got storytellers working on manuscripts, TV scripts, treatments, plays, and so much more. And the best part is we're surrounded by each other's creative energy and are so motivated knowing that everyone is getting work done. I like to think of it as a virtual creative co-working space where you can write your stories from the comfort of your own homes in your PJs with all of your favorite snacks and beverages. Our participants have been killing it with their work in progress and they're always so pumped about our next write-ins because they know they're actually making progress with their work. And it's an absolute understatement when I say that I am so dang proud of each and every one of them for showing up and doing the work. I normally hold live stream write-ins once a month for an hour, but in March, we are having three different write-ins for two hours at a time. These live streams were created to help keep you accountable and productive with your writing, and they're exclusively accessible for our Patreon family in the green tea tier and higher as a thank you for supporting our show. Please pay special attention to the time zones. The first write-in is this Saturday, March 7th from 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our second write-in is happening immediately the next night on Sunday, March 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the third and final write-in of the month is on Monday, March 9th, from 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. In case you did not know, this also comes with early access to our extended conversations with guests like Akemi Don Bowman and Linda Camacho from Galt and Zacher Literary Agency. Over the next several weeks, we're uploading the early extended interviews featuring Molly O'Neill from Root Literary, Marie Rutkowski, Stacey Lee, Samira Ahmed, Sarah Zar, Daniel Jose Older, and more. You also get access to all the extended conversations from our archive and the Patreon-exclusive video playback of my interviews with Mindy McInnes and Shannon Messenger, where we talked about publishing, marketing, money, and so much more. To join us, head over to patreon.com slash 88 cups of tea and sign up for the green tea tier or higher. Can't wait to see you there. If you've been loving our show, I have a feeling you're going to love our essays and articles over on our website at 88cupsoftea.com. Our published pieces are written by some of your favorite authors like Shannon Messenger, Sarah Faring, Annie Sullivan, Brittany Morris, Taylor K. Mejia, and many more. Be sure to check out our most recent article by Tara Sim that breaks down step-by-step how to craft an immersive world and strong characters. After you read her brilliant article, you can download her bonus writing prompt at the end of her article to help you with your writing. Our articles and essays explore topics like querying, getting past writer's block, story plotting, and much more. So be sure to head over to 88cupsofteacom for inspiration. Now about our podcast episodes, if you've been enjoying our show, I have a super quick favor to ask. If you haven't yet hit the subscribe button and submitted a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to do so. Not only do I love reading your reviews, but your reviews also give new listeners a glimpse of what to expect from our episodes. The more ratings and reviews that we get, I hear that it really helps with the algorithm to allow new listeners to find us and ultimately feel less alone in their creative journeys. Thank you to each and every one of you for taking the time. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who already left a review. On that note, I want to shout out Kelfi, who wrote us a review that said, I love starting my day with the podcast. Yin's podcast is meant to motivate writers and nothing gets me more excited to work on my manuscript. Through her fantastic interviews, it is so helpful to see there isn't just one way to make it in this industry and anyone can truly be a writer. This podcast provides the tips and tricks needed to get there and bursts of inspiration that are priceless. Yin is an amazing conversationalist and so good at what she does that every interview is helpful. She knows exactly who her audience is and what they'll want to hear and I so, so appreciate that. There is nothing better than the feeling that someone is out there speaking for you and asking the right questions while you're sitting alone in front of a manuscript feeling crazy for even trying. Thank you, Yin. Wow. Okay, Kelfi, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to write that. And second, what? 
Uh, that is probably the best review that anyone could ever ask for. So thank you so much for recognizing why we're here and why we started in the first place. I'm truly so blown away by how heartwarming and genuine your review is. And I'm so grateful you recognize the work that we've been doing. And I really couldn't do what I do without my team. So truly, thank you so much. I'm wishing you all the luck with your writing. You've got this. And I'm so proud to have you as a part of our community. For today's episode, we have one of our very own storytellers and author Adeline Grace on the show. Her debut novel, All the Stars and Teeth, just released this week. Adeline and I kick off our conversation talking about her experience as a debut author, giving us a behind-the-scenes look into a day in her life prepping for her book's release while still meeting deadlines for her second novel. She shares her journey from working at Nickelodeon to discovering her career as a novelist and how she found beta readers and critique partners who've become an intrinsic part of her writing journey. We then dive into her debut novel, All the Stars and Teeth, where she gives us a snapshot of the story, the empowering inspiration behind it, and a look into her world building and research process. We talk about the importance of keeping your character's motivations clear, how your debut novel can set the tone for your writing career, and important questions to think about when picking the right literary agent for you and your story. And later, we chat about her revision process and the revision technique that helped her weave plots and subplots together in a large world, along with how she tackles significant revisions with her editor and tips for creating your writing schedule. Storytellers, be sure to catch Adeline's Instagram takeover for an exciting look at what goes down behind the scenes on the day of her launch for All the Stars and Teeth. Head over to Instagram.com slash 88 Cups of Tea to watch her stories. Adeline also created an exclusive writing prompt just for you, and you can download this bonus content over on her show notes page at 88cupsoftea.com slash Adeline Grace. Now let's jump right in. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to have one of our fellow storytellers on the podcast today. We have Adeline Grace with us. Adeline, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am so good. And I am so excited because this is the second time that our listeners are hearing your voice because you are kind enough to jump into our Pitch Wars episode where you gave all this incredible advice feedback, guidance, and that episode did so well. And so many thanks to you and giving us your time. Adeline, I'm really excited to finally have you on the podcast for a full conversation. Your book is coming out February 4th. So we're recording this right now a little bit before and everyone when you're listening to this, the book will already have just released the same week. And Adeline's novel is all the stars and teeth. I'm so proud of you. How are you feeling? Thank you. <laughs> I think the nerves will probably kick in later, probably closer to the week of the book coming out. Right now, I'm just like, take it, take it from me. I'm so tired of being in the before stage. I just want it out and to like celebrate it being out and just to like talk to people about it. You saying that you wanting to get out of this phase and the stage of just wanting to get it out there. Can you unpack that and flesh that out even more? What are you doing to make sure that you're staying sane during this time? Because it's just on the cusp. So fortunately, my publisher is keeping me pretty busy. I just turned in the first round of edits for book two yesterday. We're trying to get it done before book one even comes out. So I'm very, very busy. So that's good because it's less time to really like focus on the fact that my book is about to come out in the world. I also have a lot of writing friends and they're just keeping me like sane through it because they've gone through the process before. I'm just trying not to focus on the fact that it's only like a month and a half away. <laughs> I don't think I was aware until having conversations with different writers and I didn't realize what uh, insane deadlines are given to authors. I always just thought, oh, you know, once you get the literary agent, the hard part's over. And they're <laughs> right, yeah, right, exactly. You're like, girl, you are in for a trip. <laughs> Getting to talk to more authors on the podcast, it's very clear that, you know, no, that's actually just the beginning. Anything you've learned from this process that you kind of want to pass on to fellow writers, just to kind of give them a, hey, guys, this is a heads up. Yes, this is a career, but these kind of things will happen. Embrace yourselves. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff that I never would have ever anticipated 
being an author is so much more than being a writer. You have so much admin work. That's just like, it keeps you so busy with emails. So there's like interviews, especially as your book is about to come out. Once you're nearing like the final couple months, there's like blog tours, you're answering questions, you're answering interviews. In some cases, you're getting like the pre-order campaign and stuff ready. You're getting events and tours and everything scheduled. So there's a lot of administrative work. But as far as like the deadlines go, it's like grossly fun to me. It's like, I hate it. And I'm so stressed the whole time. But then I turn it in and I'm like, oh, yes, like I did that. That is great. Like this, I made this book. I made this story. I made this creation. That is the fun part for me. But there's a lot of stuff that you just don't anticipate, like the admin work. You know, it's kind of sad to say this is a very like cutthroat and competitive industry when it doesn't necessarily have to be anything creative when you're like putting yourself on the line like that. Like it's the same thing with querying in a sense. It's like you want somebody to see you. You're like, I want you to see that this can be great. I want you to see me. I want you to see all the work I've put into this. I want you to trust in me and put like resources behind me and like choose me basically to to push. So it's it's really like, like that because I mean the unfortunate truth is publishers can't choose everybody to put all their resources behind. Right. So they choose a couple of lead titles and it can get just really competitive. And I think anything creative like that, when so much of you is out there, like you were putting a piece of like your soul out there for somebody else. And if they don't choose you, it's just, it gets really hard. Yes. Yes. It's so personal and it's kind of hard to not take it personally. And I'm from that frame of mind that was always like, Oh, protect your artist's integrity, your perspective. But then I think for me, because I'm older now that I took a little bit of a step, like a breath outside of the acting industry before getting back in, it's just gave me a bit more perspective where I'm like, Oh, okay. I like in order to protect myself, to not get hurt. It's almost like I need to force myself to put on that business hat. You know, it's almost like you want to remove yourself and really see yourself as a product. If I do not hold too much into my artistry so that I will not allow it to define me or validate me, and then if I see myself as a product and whatever comes out of me, it almost makes it a little less hurtful for me. It's hard to get there. I mean, as much as you can distance yourself from your work, I think that's great. I think that's better in how people should be doing it. But I think it takes a long time to get there, especially for new writers and debut authors, because, you know, we've worked so hard to get to this point. And not only that, but writing was our hobby for a long time. And now it is transitioning into our career. And nobody tells you how to do that. Because the thing about publishing, too, is there's no one process for everybody. Everything is so different from person to person. And you really have to figure out yourself, like, okay, I I need to find a way to still be me, but to also be this author because there's it's my work now. It, it can't be my life and my work. It can't be everything. I'm still figuring it out. And I think that so many people, even if they, like, start to get it, are still figuring it out. It takes a very long time. But for me, it's just I am trying to find other hobbies. I'm trying to find other things to fill that space that writing used to be for me. So now when I sit at my desk and work, like that is writing. And then I really need to get better about hours, like setting hours and not just spending all day on my computer writing. But also for me, my friends, I have been fortunate enough to find very, very great friends in this community who are not... There's no judgment. We can have real honest conversations with each other. And I think that's so important because so many people, they struggle with finding people in the community who are going to be real and honest and open. You could have like conversations beyond writing, but who also understand that the business side, who also are writers and authors and understand. So finding your community. And I would honestly say keeping it pretty small, keeping it very like intimate and personal for me has been so helpful and I also just watch a lot of anime. <laughs> it has been for me one of the most difficult parts of this debut year. 
just finding that like support group. And because the unfortunate truth and not to be like a huge downer about publishing, but everybody thinks that, you know, once you get the agent or once you get the book deal, that's, that's it. You're done. You're good. Yep. I'm one of those people. I really yes. thought that. And I was flat out wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, unfortunately, I think 70 or 80%, something like that of debuts do not publish again. They get the one book and then they're done either because they can't handle the industry like mentally and physically because it is I have never been like so stressed I've never been so sick it's really hard it's really really difficult because you are putting your creative self out there something that you've worked for so so long you are giving it to somebody else to critique to judge to tear apart it can be really difficult going on sub was the most difficult thing I've probably ever done and when you get past that period and then you're like, oh, yeah, my book is out. And then you realize that there's, you know, more hardships. It really messes with your mind. So I think that the stress just gets to so many people and it cracks so many people because it's so, so difficult. You know, like Holly Black is amazing. She talks to new authors all the time. I've seen her at events just like anybody can come up to her and she'll talk to you and she'll talk to you like you're just like a great person. Like she's not judgmental and anything. But and there's authors like that who, if they have been in the career long enough, are just wonderful. The ones who are in this industry for so long and they're able to dish out generous, also genuine kind of mentorship advice is because they are coming from a place of confidence, like real, true confidence that they have cultivated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And if there's one thing I would say to newer writers or debut authors to remember it is just that nobody else is going to be as confident as like you are. Nobody else is going to advocate for you the way that you can advocate for yourself. Like you have to maintain that confidence to get through this industry because it is a business. Like it's very cool. It's a very creative, amazing business, but it is still a business filled with, you know, huge, huge ups and huge, huge downs. And you have to maintain confidence within yourself the entire time to get through this. Yes. Oh, those are really strong parting words from this topic. Thank you so much for that, Adeline. So my darling, I would love to know how you first fell in love with storytelling. Yeah. Okay. So I actually have like a kind of weird story. So I was a reader when I grew up, but I wasn't like a huge, huge reader. I actually kind of started by writing in a really dorky way. I don't know if you know of Neopets. Were you ever on Neopets, the website? Not the website, but is don't they actually have dolls? Okay, yeah. So they did have dolls for a while, but that was like after the website became super, super popular. So cute. <laughs> I like accidentally found in their boards, I found this board called role playing. And I was like, oh, that sounds weird. What's that? So I went and it was like these people writing stories like back and forth, like they would build a character and then like another person would build a character and you would write like a paragraph and then they would write a paragraph. And it's just, you're talking back and forth, like as these characters, I was like, oh, well, I have nothing better to do. Let me try this. So I became addicted. And when I mean addicted, I mean, like I would go to school and I would come home and I would start role playing until I went to sleep. I was writing like thousands and thousands of words a day. And I found this small group of friends who we made a guild on Neopets. And I think the first one we made was like a wolf role play. They were so overdramatic. Like the first character I ever wrote, her name was Shakayo, And she was an alpha wolf who killed her entire pack, but was <gasps> very misunderstood. So she like had to go start a new pack. <laughs> I would just write with these four friends all day, every day on the weekends. It was just like nonstop. And that's how I started. I think I started when I was maybe 10 years old, like really young. By the time I was, I want to say like 13, I was trying to write like my own vampire book. And by the time I was 16, the role playing started slowing down a little bit. And it was more like focused on my own writing. But I loved role playing so much. Thank you, Neopets. I'd be so proud if I have a kid that has a self-starter attitude in that way. I did it so secretly. Like I didn't tell anybody. I had a different name online. My name was Kai. I lived like a different state because my parents were very like, don't use the computer to talk to strangers. And meanwhile, I had this whole alternate life online. I saw in your bio says that you graduated from Arizona State University when you were 19 years old. Clearly, you're super smart, very intelligent, 
learn really fast and can execute really quickly. So for Arizona State, what were you studying? First of all, thank you. I think more of it was just like, I was very fortunate that I knew what I wanted to do. And I just needed to like, get out of school. So I took it year round. I tested out of like a few classes, but it wasn't like that. It was just like I took school year round to just kind of get those credits out of the way. But thank you. I was studying English, but I will say for anybody who is younger and is looking at like college and isn't sure if it's right for them or if they can afford it or anything like that, I will say that I did not truly learn and grow as a writer until after college, until I started entering contests like pitch wars and stuff and trying with that, or just like meeting critique partners and beta readers and getting that feedback. I did not truly grow as a writer until after college. I'm glad I went. I'm glad that I did it. But I do not think by any means that it's necessary to become an author. Because you already had a lot of love and passion for writing since the the Neopets days. Did you know throughout middle school, high school that you're going to go to school, you're going to go get your writing degree so that you can become an author. I always knew that I wanted to write books, but I thought that also maybe I wanted to do something in film. Like, did I want to direct or did I want to write screenplay? Something like that. I wasn't really 100% sure. So I studied film a little bit as well. And I eventually ended up interning at Nickelodeon Animation, which was a really, really cool experience. But when I was there, I had one of my supervisors kind of come up to me. And I think that he was trying to get me to like really commit to animation. Because so he was like, you know, you're putting like 50% towards this and like 50% towards writing. Why don't you pick like one of them and put 100% towards that? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go do writing. Then I really focused on that. And that's when I really went hard trying to get published I entered Pitch Wars, I think, that same year, maybe, or maybe the next year. But it wasn't until after that when I kind of like tried dipping my toes in scripts and screenwriting and stuff that I really was 100% sure that, no, I think I'm better suited for books and novels. Do you feel like this is something that you can maybe circle back to in the future? Yeah. So there's nothing 100% set in stone yet, but I will say that... I have already been circling back to it and that there's something maybe in the future coming. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's freaking exciting. I'm not going to push just in case you can't share too many details. I can't help but wonder then because there was no actual real training on how to be a novelist in college, how the hell did you know to find beta readers? How did you know where to find them? Like all of that stuff to then get you to be ready for pitch wars. I think that it's very much like figure it out as you're doing it. And it's just trial and error, especially as you're a newer author. You find like beta readers and you might not mesh with them very well. So it's, it takes a lot of work. I entered pitch wars actually in 2015 as well. And I did not get in. But through that and like through Twitter and the hashtag and everything, I was kind of able to find more beta readers and critique partners who were at the same stage as me, who were also trying to get into pitch wars, who also had a manuscript ready. And I was able to swap with them. And I actually found my very first critique partner through, oh, I forget which one it was, but it's one of those like critique partner finders, like that people host every once in a while. It's like, hey, if you're looking for a critique partner, like, post on here what your book is about. My first partner was Akimi Don Bowman. I love her so much. And she wasn't published yet. And I was a mess. I don't even know why she gave me like the time of day because I was so rough at that point. But she was so sweet about it. And I learned so much from her. So she's like my first one. And then from Pitch Wars, once I got in the next year, I kind of found the rest of them. Like people who it's just all about pe finding people who are at the same kind of stage as you, whether that's like if you enter a contest, even if you don't get in, the other people entering, if you're like looking at the hashtag, those people are at the same stage as you. They're also trying to get in. So you can talk to them and reach out and see if you guys vibe, maybe share like the first five chapters or something and see if you guys both like each other's work, if you guys both get each other's work. Because it's just really trial and error. I went through so many beta readers and critique partners before I really found the ones that have to stick with me. I will pay them in presents. Like, they're not going anywhere. I would just say to consider this. Like, if you hand a book to 10 people, every single one of those 10 people are going to have different thoughts. They're going to have different opinions. So it's not that any critique partner 
is like wrong or anything like that. It's just, you have to find the person who, when they give you notes, you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I understand that. And that is my vision. And I agree with that. And that would make my vision better. You have to be very, very particular about finding that one person because everybody else is going to have opinion and maybe it would make the book better in a different way. You know, maybe it's like a good book, but not the kind of book that you're trying to tell. So you have to be very specific about finding who's right for you. Yes. Okay. You girl, you are filled with advice and wisdom and gold nuggets. Thank you so much. <laughs> I do want to also segue into your book before, cause we have several listener questions for you. For me, I would love if you can give us a snapshot in your own words of your novel coming out, All the Stars and Teeth. All the Stars and Teeth is essentially about a very morally gray kind of vicious princess who has forced to team up with a pirate in order to save her kingdom from a magical new threat. That is the overall kind of snapshot of the book. It's going to be great for fans of Throne of Glass or of Carvel. It is it features, like I said, a morally gray protagonist, a very cocky, arrogant pirate a mermaid who likes to eat people and a very sweet cinnamon roll boy. That is the main crew of four. And I'm so excited to get to share them in the world. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Okay. I need to know what is the inspiration for your book, how that came about. I wanted to create a character who I have always felt like in media, female characters get to be one of two things. They get to either be like, pretty or they get to be like actually I guess three things or they get to be smart or they get to like have a sword it's never like a combination of those things like you have to like one or the other if you like swords then you can't like dating and courting and boys or if you like makeup then you can't like swords I really wanted to create a character who loves being in the thick of action she loves fighting she likes just the feeling of it and the emotions it gives her I guess but she also, she loves courting and she loves dating and she likes boys and she likes makeup and dresses. And I really kind of wanted to create a Sansa Arya hybrid yes. character. She was the inspiration for all the stars and teeth. And once I figured her out, it was like, okay, well, cool. I got a character and nothing else. So like the world came next and I knew that I wanted to have a bunch of different magics I decided there's seven different magic systems in the book, which I don't know why I did that many. It was so much work. I had to think of things I like. So I like water, I like oceans, I like pirates. So it all kind of just like came together, sword fights and action and stuff like that. So I created this world of seven different islands, each of them with a different magic system that's entirely unique. And I put Amora in the middle of it and gave her a magic that only her and her family has this magic but she very much yearns to like see the other magic she yearns to experience it because she's been kind of cooped up in this little world I guess kind of like Moana who really wants to go adventure out in the sea Amora is kind of like a bloody vicious Moana I suppose can you dive into the research process of that because it made it so realistic I was blown away by those details thank you yeah I will say that in the first draft those details really didn't exist. I wrote kind of what I wanted to happen. And then I was like, does this actually work? And how do I make it work? So then it's a lot of research after that. Unfortunately, like I live in San Diego. So we have some ships that dock out there a lot. And my boyfriend's dad just got a boat. He retired and then he bought himself a boat to sail the world. So I was like, okay, let's talk. But yeah, it was just a ton of research, just like a lot of YouTube videos. Apart from that, I read a lot of online blogs of people who like sail and try to learn the terminology of that. I found like diagrams and they would like point to little parts of the ship that'd be like, this is what this is called. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. I will say I did cheat a little bit. The ship in the beginning is different than the ship that is used throughout most of the story. And that ship is kind of like, without spoiling anything, it's like a little bit magical. So they didn't have to have like a big crew because there's no way that a ship like that big would ever be able to sail without like a giant crew. But I was like, well, I need to make it happen because there's no way I'm writing a giant crew. Let's get into some talk about characters and again like especially Amora I know we we're talking a bit about her in the beginning and hence why this book even came to life was because of Amora and wanting to write somebody like her I know this is such a dorky question but how much of you is in her she embodies a lot of my frustrations I think with how 
things are and how I wish I could be if that was like quote unquote acceptable to many people. So she'll like say things and I'll be like, he 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 <laughs> like this is to that person who did me wrong in the past. <laughs> so she's very much like a lot of that. But she's also like her own person. She's not like entirely me. I didn't create myself and put myself in a story, although like that'd be fun one day. She's a lot of me. She's a lot of my frustrations with patriarchy and how things are ran and how I wish that it would just be acceptable for everybody to be able to communicate one way or to like, there's a character too. Her name is Fatea. She's the mermaid. And she says something like, I'm going to get back at like all these people who ever told me to smile. Like it's just stuff like that. Like that we shouldn't have these expectations on us as women, but we do. I wanted to create this entire crew of characters who basically kind of break that down. All of them too. It's not just Amor, it's not just Fatea. It's also Bastion and Farrick who are the two men in the crew. So yeah, it's a lot of a lot of that. A lot of my frustrations, I guess, are how I wish things could be. Yes, I was gonna say it's like a big F U middle finger and I love it. And what a classy way to do that, by the way. Thank you. I will add that it was very difficult finding the right editor for Amora who understood her and who didn't want to make her super nice because that was a lot of feedback from editors when we went on submission it was like you know I don't really understand Amora she's kind of like me I wish she was like a little bit nicer like you're missing the whole point so I really really lucked out with my editor and I'm very very glad that we got to keep her still very morally gray she's not friendlier but like you understand her motivations like a little bit more now which is a good thing but if you're like writing a morally gray female character, just, I guess, prepare for that. And like the one little piece of advice I would give you is to make sure that their motivations are super, super clear so they can be awful, but the reader knows exactly why they do what they do. So you don't have to agree with them, but you're like, oh, I understand what you're doing. I'm going to watch you do it. Thank you so much for that. I would love to go over some listener questions. These are questions coming from their own experiences and what they're going through right now. I want to ask you all these questions about craft, but I'm like, mm, let me save it for them. So is it okay <laughs> that we can jump in? Yeah. Because you also got a voice message and that's from Olivia Liu. Hi, Adeline. I'm so excited that you're on 88 Cups of Tea. I love your blog and I'm so excited for your debut. I was wondering why you chose to have a freelance editor for your book before you queried and what that process was like. I would also love to know what it's like for you to shelve a manuscript. How do you know when it's time and how do you handle the emotional aspect of it? So for the freelance editor, I don't think that you need one. It's not like a requirement. If you don't want to feel like you're in the place for one, don't feel obligated to get one. I got one because I did really trust this person's opinion. I knew who they were from Pitch Wars. They were a Pitch Wars mentor while I was a mentee. I think they did really great work with one of my friend's books. I knew that I was close based on feedback that I've gotten from agents from my past book. And I went through Pitch Wars and everything. It's still that book. I know that the next part of the question is like why I shelved it. So we'll talk about that later. But ultimately shelved it. And I knew with this book that I had something. And I just wanted to get it as ready and as polished as I possibly could before presenting it to agents. So that's just the choice that I made. I thought that that was best for me. I was in a place where I could do that. I don't think that it's a requirement. But I did just kind of want to get her advice and her feedback. And now she's an acquiring editor at a publisher. She was wonderful. She was great. Her name's Ashley Hearn. I love her. Hi, Ashley. Why I shelved the book and kind of like how that process was. And for me, it depended on a couple of factors. I think that, you know, when we are newer writers, we very much think that agents are these shiny unicorns. And we want so badly for one of them, any of them to see our work and be like, yes, I want to work with you in their fancy suit with their magical wand and like fairy wings. Cause that's what we think they look like. But as I kind of started to learn more about the industry and more about the business, I realized that there were actually very few agents that I would really actually want to work with because it is a partnership. You are partnering up with this person for your career. So you really have to think of it as that business mindset. Like, do I trust this person, not with this book, but with my career? Like, would I want to work with them long-term? And for me, I made a list of agents that I thought that I would want to work with. And it was pretty small. I want to say it was like under 25 agents. And once those agents were gone, then I was like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to shop this book around and go with somebody who I didn't feel was right for me. 
who I don't feel like I even trusted their resume basically enough to want to work with them. I'm not going to settle. So I wrote a different book. It wasn't all the stars and teeth. I did not query this book, but I wrote another book very quickly and realized it wasn't right. And then just kind of had to have a heart to heart with myself. Like, what do I want to debut with? Because when you debut a book, you kind of have this image put on you. Like if you debut with a contemporary or if you debut with a sci-fi, you know, your readers are expecting you to then come out with another contemporary or another sci-fi. And it's very hard to kind of cross genres. So my passion is with fantasy. So I decided, you know what, why am I trying to do like these other stories? I want to write fantasy, at least for like the time being. So I wrote All the Stars and Teeth. I wrote it very, very quickly in a very abnormal process, I will say. I finished it in three weeks. It kind of just like was one of those stories that flew out of me. That is the one I decided that I wanted to be my debut. That is why I got the freelance editor. Because I was like, you know what? I'm serious about this one. This is the one I want to put all my effort behind. This is the one I think will debut the strongest. This is what I want to lead my career with. So it was just a very like personal decision that had a lot of different factors in it. Like there was no more agents I wanted to work with for the book I'd previously queried. I didn't want to debut with a sci-fi. I wanted to debut with a fantasy. So it just factors like that, that I really kind of had to like sit down. Cause I had, I had worked on my previous book that I queried. It was called donor. It was the one I was in pitch wars with. It was a sci-fi. I worked on that for at least three years. So it was very, very difficult to kind of be like, okay, I'm done with this one. I have to put it aside. But I will say when I did and when I took some time to just sit with myself and think of what I wanted for my career, once I got to that place and that decision and I was able to put donor away, it was very, at least this is not going to be everybody's story. I was very, very fortunate and lucky. But for me, it went very quickly from there. And I had my agent and I had a couple agent offers within a month and a half of putting donor aside. Jeez. Okay. That's insane. There's a lot of talk earlier about time and how you spent three years working on donor. And then for all the stars and teeth, it just flew out of you. Were you having a full-time job at the time when you were working from donor into all the stars and teeth? When I wrote Donor, I was still in school and I was at Nickelodeon and I was working in a newspaper. So that one took a little bit longer because I had a lot of different things going on. I had the full-time school, full-time job. So that one was definitely very busy. For the one I wrote in between Donor and All the Stars and Teeth, I was working at a bar. So I was working part-time, still pretty busy, but sometimes I just had to say no to like social things, which isn't always great to do. Like you still want to make sure you're seeing friends and family and stuff like that. But for some things that like could be missed or could be avoided, I avoided them. I was very serious about wanting to be published. But for all the stars and teeth, I was not working because I got into a car accident actually. And I broke two of my ribs and part of my spine. So I was not able to go to work. I was physically incapable of it. <gasps> I am so sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. I'm, I mean, I'm fine now and it all worked out, but the doctor basically told me that I was not going to be able to do the job I was doing at the time, which is I had just came from Nickelodeon. I was working at a bar because, you know, the whole like 50% animation and 50% writing thing, I chose writing. So I was like, okay, well, I still need to fund my life. I still need to pay my bill. So this is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to make myself have time to write, but I couldn't work at the bar anymore. I couldn't work like on my feet or bending or lifting things anymore. Not going to be able to again, but fortunately it all worked out because I had all this time that basically I was like, okay, I need to publish a book because I can't go back to doing that job. And I could go back to full-time work, but if I go back to full-time work, then I know I'm not going to have as much time to write this book. So while I can't work, while I'm physically like stuck on the couch, I'm going to spend that time trying just this one last shot until not one last shot, but like I had this opportunity and I could do it. And eventually I needed like when I could go back to work, I needed to go back to work so I can pay my bills. But until then, I was like, I'm going to try this. Here's what I'm going to do. And it somehow magically all worked out. You are incredible, Adeline, for real. You show up every time with that self-discipline, that self-starter attitude, and you push yourself through because there's so many people who are so incredible at dreaming and it's so important to dream and to have dreams, but execution style is not always, I would say at 
it's just rare to find people who can do both dreaming and execution equally. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I will say that I don't have kids. I have a boyfriend, but at that time we didn't live together or anything. So I had a lot of free time. I totally understand the people who have families, you know, they have full-time jobs. The only advice I can really give to that is to maybe consider setting like a word count goal. And that's what I do when I'm on deadline or when I'm really busy and have multiple projects. I will set a word count goal and it doesn't have to be big. It can be like, I want to write 200 words today. I want to write 500 words today. I love writing sprints. Those words could in theory be written in a writing sprint that's like 20 minutes long. And that's when you just shut off your phone, you turn your TV off, you, you're only focusing on your computer or your notebook or whatever you're writing on. You set a timer, those 15, those 20, those 30 minutes, put the words down on the page, boom, you hit your goal. That's it. That is awesome. You're amazing. I'm going to squeeze in the next question from Kat Corby. She, all caps, O-M-G-G-G-G-G-G. So it's a lot of, oh my God, I cannot wait for this. Three exclamation marks, like all caps. She said, Adeline is incredible. And All the Stars and Teeth is one of my most anticipated 2020 reads. I would love to hear her talk about the structure for stories with a big scope like ATSAT has. Does she have tips for weaving plots and subplots together to give all her cool characters the stage time that serves their arcs? With big roles like this, a lot of it happens in revisions. In my first drafts or earlier drafts, like, mm, no, those like islands exist and the magic exists. Your whole job, like with the first draft, is just getting the idea out there. So then with revisions, what I like to do is I always like to pull back the example of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Because with revisions, like you're working on so many different things. I think that book is just, or the movie, they both do it, is a really good example of it. So you have like the A plot and the B plot. And the A plot is Voldemort is there and he's trying to kill everybody and he's a bad dude. And then you have the B plot, which is this Triwizard Tournament. So you're weaving all those together and then you have like the C plots and the D plots, which is like the Ministry of Magic or the giants that Voldemort wants to like recruit. And you have to find time to weave in all these little elements because they all are what make the story at the end. Like when Voldemort returns and then the Triwizard Tournament is what brings Harry to Voldemort and you know about the Ministry of Magic and how it's corrupted. So you have to find a way to make all those elements come together. And the best thing that I would suggest doing for that is doing revisions in rounds so you write down these different plots. You write down your A plot, the main storyline that's happening in your story. You write down your B plot, especially if this is like a series, like what is happening in this specific book. And then like the little threads, like here's what's happening with this character. Here's what's happening in this character and why it all matters in the overall plot. And then with each revision pass you do, you're working on one of those. And that's going to eliminate it from being like totally overwhelming. You're working on this character's storyline. You're working on this character's storyline. And then towards the end, you're weaving everything together. And since you didn't try to cram it all into like one big messy revision, it's going to like read so much cleaner. It's just going to be easier for you. Like that would be my biggest recommendation is to do everything around, write out everything on like a notebook, what you want to do, what your plot threads are, what your character arcs are, and then do everything in its own stage. All right. So I have a serious question for you. When are you going to have your masterclass? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when my book is out. <laughs> you are so detail oriented. I am in love with the way you break down everything into bite sizable formats. I'm checking our Facebook group for other questions. And we had people like Davina Tiffany chiming in, Emily Varga, Olivia Liu, who already left the voice message. Dana Nunighoff said, ah, no question. Just want to say how much I love Adeline and all the stars and teeth, like basically all caps. So Adeline has lots of fans. Anika Naeem actually asked a question that we did not get to touch on. So I'm going to make this the last listener question, okay? So she said, ah, so excited for this episode. Adeline has spoken about her drafting process on Instagram, but I'd love to know about her revision process. How does she tackle significant significant revisions. 
it's back to the rounds thing. Like I really need to sit with like my edit letter. I like to edit before my editor even gets anything. But then once she gets it, I get an edit letter and I go through with like a highlighter or something. And I highlight kind of what she wants me to do. And it's never, hey, you need to do this exact thing and fix your book. It's more like here's an overall thing that is lacking in your book and you need to do something to fix it. And here's maybe an idea. So I'll highlight that. And then I'll kind of just like sit with it for a while, brainstorm. I swear to you, it is all about the rounds. I will not tackle everything all together. People like to do prose at like the same time and make their words like sound pretty. And I am not that kind of provisor. That is like the last stage. I will make it legible for my editor. I will make it okay to be read. <laughs> I will not make it like pretty and gorgeous because I'm focused on the story. So I will focus on like, what does this character want? What is motivating her? And then that needs to like go throughout the whole book. I make sure that I have that solidified. I have the arcs and then I think of world building. I think like some good world building questions to ask yourself or just like, are readers able to understand how your magic works? Is it clear to them? And then beyond that, like how does it influence the world? How does it influence jobs? Because jobs will influence what people wear. And then jobs will influence like, what do people eat in this world? If you have a world with magic, those are some really great world building questions to ask yourself and what I always ask myself because you want the world to feel as innovative and as unique to your story as possible. So that's kind of the stuff that I ask myself when I'm doing developmental edits and really trying to build the world. And again, it all comes down to doing it in the rounds. What is the proudest moment in your career? I will say being done with the submission process and getting my book picked up by an amazing editor because my submission process, but it was very very difficult. Like my querying happened very fast. I had a wicked fast, like abnormal query time, which was I had two offers in less than 24 hours. So that was abnormal. I got a little cocky, you know, I went into submission. I was like, I'm going to sell this book so fast. I went to acquisitions. The number that my agent told me, and I don't know if it was hundred percent true, if she was exaggerating a little bit or what, but she told me I went to acquisitions eight times with eight different editors. And it was very, very, very difficult to keep going on that roller coaster of, okay, somebody like is going to take your book to acquisitions. Just kidding. It failed. Okay. The, but this other person, okay, JK, it didn't work. So once I got that editor though, once I got that call, I was actually in Barnes and Noble and I like ran out of the store and just started crying. And I was like, Hillary, I got to go call my mom. An acquisitions meeting is when an editor does want your book and then they take it to the acquisitions meeting. They basically say, Hey, I want this. What do you guys think of it? And can I have the money to buy it? So they get like second reads and stuff and other people in-house are reading the book and hearing about the book and they kind of have to make this executive decision. So, I mean, you never know what happens in those acquisition meetings. I'm not going to say that it was because of Amora because I'm sure for a lot of cases it wasn't. It probably didn't have anything to do with her. It could have been from like a million different reasons. But Amora did tie into it a little bit, having that morally gray female character. It was very difficult because you hear from so many publishers like, hey, I want this, I want this. And I know people get this for like all sorts of different stories. It's not just morally gray characters, just like female characters. It's all sorts of different reasons. They hear that an editor wants it and then this editor like doesn't buy it. They don't come out and say it, but it's basically like saying it without saying it. Where it's like, hey, I just didn't jive with this character. But that's fine because I ended up with an editor and a publisher who are perfect for the book and I could not be happier with them. So it all worked out for the best. You really want that too. You want the editor who doesn't just want to buy your book, but who loves your book and understands your book. Mm -hmm. And enhances everything. I ask this at the end of basically every podcast episode at every interview, what are some manageable steps that you would advise writers to take every week towards accomplishing their writing goals? I would definitely say that like first things first to sit down with yourself and understand what your goal is. It goes beyond too. like, I want to write this book. Do you want to write it for traditional publishing? Do you want to write it for independent publishing? Like, what do you want to do with it? And once you really have that goal plan, then figuring out your time, figuring out like your restrictions and when you have free hours and when you have free time. And I would totally recommend the word count goal because I think it's so feasible. And especially if you have other friends who are writers who are trying to work on their book, you can do sprints with them. That really motivates me because I'm really competitive too. So it's like, yeah, you're going to get words done. I'm going to get words done. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be long. It could just be like 15, 20, 30 minutes. 
And then you could do one of those. You could do two of those. But like the key thing is just that is your time. Like you want this. You have to put the work into it. It will not just be handed to you. So you do have to find some time, but you have to be realistic with yourself too. So if you only have 15 minutes, make those 15 minutes count. Oh, so freaking good per the usual. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for your time again. Can you please share any book that you love, you would recommend, whether it's novels that opened your eyes to really great writing or craft books, because our people love craft books, anything that you feel like really left an impact on you that you feel like our community could really learn from? For craft books, I really would say Save the Cat. Um, I love the beat sheet. You don't have to religiously follow like a craft book by any means. And I don't even religiously follow like the beat sheets. I kind of fudge them up a little bit. But I think that they are a spectacular tool to use when you are drafting a book or when you're plotting a book. So I'm really like influenced by anime and video games and stuff and books as well. But I feel like we talk about books so much. I get so much drive watching TV shows and stuff too. So that really influences me. I love My Hero Academia and I will never not say that I love My Hero Academia so much. And I think that influences a lot of my action scenes. That's amazing. (laughs) I hear that anime is incredible, especially with action-packed scenes that you can learn so much from that and apply to your own writing. I definitely get inspired by that. Or there's a K-drama too that will never like leave my heart now. It's called Goblin. And that's going to inspire romance from me for like ever. I love it so, so much. It's just so refreshing to me when I hear from authors or guests who are just so open to crossing different genres, different cultures, different everything. And that's awesome to know that you watch anime and can apply it to your writing. (laughs) So my dear, can you please let everyone know where they can find you online to say hello? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Adeline Grace underscore. And you can find me on Instagram as author Adeline Grace. And that wraps up my conversation with Adeline Grace. Adeline, you dropped so many nuggets of wisdom that's going to help our listeners tremendously. I loved having you on the podcast, and I am so excited for you and your debut launch of All the Stars and Teeth. Congrats again. Storytellers, thank you for hanging out and listening in. As always, please be sure to stop by and say hi to Adeline on Instagram at author Adeline Grace and on Twitter at Adeline Grace underscore. Don't forget to catch her really exciting behind the scenes footage for our Instagram story takeover at instagram.com slash 88 cups of tea. To download Adeline's writing prompt and to find all the resources and books mentioned in her episode and tweetable quotes and the timestamps of highlights throughout our entire conversation, head on over to Adeline's show notes page at 88cupsoftea.com slash Adeline grace. If you are looking for a super intimate space where you can meet fellow storytellers and experience what it's like to be a part of our community, come hang out with us in our private Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. We check in with each other on the daily and have weekly threads where you can update each other about your work in progress and your huge wins for the week, along with recommendations for books and TV shows. And there's a whole ton of gifs in there. So if you have a smile on your face right now, just from listening to this, you need to come and hang out with us at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. Have a super productive week and I will catch you not next Thursday, but the one after that.